0: With Mr. Brian Terry, Hey Food Tools. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291 6901. There you go. I don't know if I don't you got your mic. There you there go. There we go. All right. <laughs> now we're on the air. <laughs> a little small faux pas there. That's all right. <laughs> you give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out. I'm sure also makes the show just a whole lot more interesting. Oh, most definitely. But if you happen to maybe not want to be on the air That's or right. you think of something after we go off the air or. Even next week at midnight. There you go. You can go to our website, send us an email, and Lewis will get that back to you within 24 hours. That address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O. A-U-T-O dot com. That's right. And, of course, that is a website, and there's tons and tons and tons of information. I think the last time I checked, it's close to a million words of text on that site. So That's, that's great. It's yeah. all free information, unbiased free information. Well, the thing that's a little bit different, I believe, about our website than so many that I've seen, so many of the sites that are on there are sponsored by a certain product uh-huh. or service or whatever. Right. Uh, chemical you can buy or whatever. So... It seems like all the information is slanted towards their product. Sure. We sell whiz-bang stop leaks, so no matter what problem you got, this is going to fix it. (laughs) (laughs) And our site is sponsored by us as an information source. Correct. And so it's unbiased information. Obviously, we hope that you will do business with us, but that's not mandatory. There's tons and tons of articles and things on there that don't pertain to us at all. The one comes to mind right off the top of my head is how to find a great shop. Well, that's exactly right. No matter where you are, that article will help you find a great shop to deal with. Well, so often we get a call from folks, or not a call, but an email from folks somewhere in another state or another country, and they say, I wish I could do business with you, but obviously I'm not going to bring my car from London to Baton Rouge and get it right. fixed. How do I go about finding a good shop or someone who's going to actually do a good job for uh-huh. me? And there is several articles on there, one on the front page on how to select a shop. And some of the things that you're going to find are sort of counter to what we've heard so much. Correct. When you Google that uh, particular phrase, like find an automotive shop, something like that, they go, oh, look for ASC certification, look for industry. Uh-huh. Affiliation, all the same old tired, well-worn things. I'm not saying they're necessarily bad, but... Every shyster out there has read that list, and they right. come up with some reason why they're going to be <laughs> that whatever it is. A lot of them hide behind different things. For instance, industry affiliations, that's where you belong to different trade associations. Well, that really doesn't have anything to do with how good a job you're going to do, because by law, they are prohibited from refusing membership to anyone in that trade. Okay. So as long as you are willing to pay your dues, you're a member. You're a member. You're in. There's no right. policing activity there. There's nothing that says, well, you've got to do this, this, and this to be a member. And there are some good ones out there. Uh, just off the top of my head, the ASA is the Automotive Service Association. Right. But basically, if you own an automotive shop, you can be a member. There you go. It doesn't matter if you're good, bad, or otherwise. Another is the Better Business Bureau, which is actually a pretty good organization, but they can't refuse membership to anyone if you want to be a member and if you're not a member. And what they will generally give you when you call them is he has a satisfactory record to date, which is the best rating you'll get, or he uh-huh. has an unsatisfactory record to date. But they're not going to give you a lot more information than that. Right. Kind of a gray sky. Yeah, it's sort of, I guess, some information, but really not enough to make a decision. Right. One thing I've always said, let's say you need to find a shop and you just don't know where to turn. You're on the road and your car breaks down. Okay. And you don't know anyone in this town, so you really don't know exactly where to turn. And what I tell people is, go to the phone book, the Yellow Pages. Look at the ads. Let's say you need some transmission service. Okay. Okay. Well, what you want to do is tear out the section on transmissions, throw it away, and now you got a document that can help you Because <laughs> You don't want to go and call a transmission shop because, obviously, whoever you call is going to have all the reasons why you should go to them. Oh, yeah, free towing, bring it in, oh, free yeah. diagnostics. And that's probably yeah. the worst possible thing that you can have because nothing is ever truly free. So exactly. what you might want to do is look up someone who does not do the kind of work you want. Okay. For instance, if you need transmission service, call a radiator shop and say, hey, look, if your transmission was broken or your mother's transmission was broken, where well, would you take it? There you go. Because folks in the industry generally know other people in the industry. They know who's good and who's bad. Right. And if they have no interest in telling you one way or the other, this is work they don't do, then they are far more likely just to give you a straight scoop. Uh huh. Now, you got to remember, you are possibly talking about a competitor, so he's probably not going to give you a raving review. But what you want to do is call more than one place call three or four or five places and see if one name comes up more than one time right and then you got someone you can go to that's right and well what's important is you need to ask at least two questions one is is this person honest there's are they going to give me the true scoop and Mm -hmm. yes or no and number two are they technically competent because really that's the only thing that matters because if you start to ask, well, are they cheap, are they this, are they... who knows? I mean, right. you're not going to know that. And the fact is, if they are honest, then the price they charge is going to be reasonable because that's just the way it works. Uh-huh. If they are dishonest, whatever price they charge is going to probably be a scam. Right? There's too, too much for you to know. There's no way you're going to be able to determine all those things. So you need to know, is this an honest shop and are they technically competent? And I guess, really, if they were honest and you asked them, are you technically competent, they'd tell you no. If they're really honest, (laughs) there you go. But that's what you really need to do. And the thing is, if you go to people or places that do not do the kind of work that you need. For instance, let's say you've got a BMW and you're broken down out of town. Well, what you may do is look through the phone book, call the Chevrolet dealership and say, if I need if you, I had a BMW, I know you don't work on them, but where would you go? And see what they say. right And if they say, well, I'd take it to the BMW, okay, why would you recommend that? Why do you, well, uh, because they work, you know, you want to hear the reason that they send you there. In mm-hmm. other words, well, because they're honest, I've seen a lot of cars they've worked on, they're always done right. Right. We've got some customers who have Chevrolets and BMWs, and they always seem to be happy with service or whatever, whatever the reason might be. Make sure the reason they're giving you fits in with your goals or your aims for your uh-huh. car. If they say, well, they're the cheapest guys in town, that may not be what you're looking for. Right. If that is what you're looking for, then if they say, well, they're the best, they're unquestionably the finest shop, one of the finest shops in the country, and you're looking for the cheapest guy in town, well, that's that doesn't not meet your fit, right? So it's not that one is necessarily a whole lot better than another. But it's that it has to meet your goals or your aims, of what you're looking for. Right. If you're looking for someone who is going to be very, very thorough and do a very, very good job, then you're not looking necessarily for the cheapest guy in town. Now, he may also be the cheapest guy in town. Who knows? He may be. But you need to be sure that you look at the reasons why they're being recommended. Sure. The second thing is you may go to their website, if they have one, and see not only what is written, but how, how it's, it's written. written. Correct. Because if you're looking for a high quality shop, it's probably not going to be a shop that offers coupons. Uh It's not going to be a shop that discusses, well, we're this, that, you know, they could talk about why they're good, the methods they use, the reasons that they're better than everybody else, and there's why should I do business with you. That is a sign of a quality shop. So if that's what you're looking for, that's the kind of place that you need to go to. So those sorts of things will help you out. If you look in that article, it will give you just a ton of those and other things to look for when you're actually trying to select a shop. So little tip there just in case you happen to get broke down the road or need to yeah, find a like a great tip. There you go. And we're going to the phone line with Herb. Good morning, Herb. Good
1: morning. Yes. I went, I had, before I got rid of my Dodge truck, I had it under warranty, and I went down to the Dodge place, and one of the mechanics told me it was a corporate rear end in it. I was grappling about the traction lock not working very good. And I was wondering, I hear y'all and this and I've, other people say something, there's always something about second gear, second gear servo, or somewhere along in them lines. And I'm wondering if they got corporate transmission with just different cases on them. So it seems like I hear the same problem with more than one variety of vehicle, you know?
0: Yeah, well, they use a certain transmission type in a number of different models and over a period of years and that's true of pretty much everything and everybody. For instance, General Motors has used the 4L60 basically in one form or another since 1982 all the way up to 2014 mm-hmm. in, in their vehicles and all of them do that. They may make certain changes to it, they may may or may not do that. But Chrysler uses two or three or four different transmissions in just about all of their rear-wheel drive vehicles. And you just need to know which transmission is in that one. We get a lot of times folks will call and say, well, how much does a service transmission Okay, what transmission is in it? Well, it's a da 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 dot Okay, well, that doesn't mean anything. Right. Toyota's notorious for that. Yeah, Toyota may have four or five different transmissions that go in one make or model. And companies like ASIN and Warner and some of these guys make transmissions for multiple different companies. So you may have a Warner transmission in a Toyota. You may also have it in a Jeep. Or you may have a, I can't think of all the different ones, but there's lots and lots and lots of those. But, yes, you are exactly right. And the reason they have the same pattern phase is because basically it's the same transmission. In all Internally. The That's, Internally.
1: What was, yes. right. That's what I was getting to wonder. Yes. So how is the little Honda Radio lines transmission? That's that pretty tough?
0: They had a lot of trouble with Honda transmissions from 1998 all the way up to 2004. After 2004, they did improve them, and they are much better now. They don't have as much trouble, but back in that time frame, they had just a huge amount of problems, so much so that Honda actually recalled them for 10 years or 107,000 miles. Of course, most people are way out of that on all those models, but they did have a lot of trouble there. Now, the newer ones, we don't see as much trouble, the thing with most Honda transmissions is that they're built without a pan on the transmission. The filter is inside of the unit. So you can't readily replace the filter, right? You would actually have to take the unit out and take the unit apart to, to get to that to, to get to that screen. So it's mm-hmm. important if you own one of those vehicles to do a regular service at a fairly low miles. If I had that vehicle, I would probably service transmission every 20,000 miles.
1: Well, I pull a boat trailer with
0: well, i do it uh, at least, yeah. twenty no more than 20,000 miles. Yeah, and, and it's easy is, to do. Yeah, extremely easy. You can actually do it yourself. All you need to do, Herb, first off, go to the Honda dealer and get six quarts or seven quarts on that one of fluid. And that's going to be a special Honda-only fluid. You look under there, and you're going to see a drain plug on transmission. Go drive it, get it to full operating temperature, come back, pull that plug, and let the fluid run out. You're going to get three and a half quarts out. Put the plug back in, refill it, go drive it again for about 20 minutes, and come back and repeat. And that's as simple as it is. What happens is that when you turn it off, in other words, when you start it, the pump pumps the fluid into the filter. When you turn it off, the weight of the fluid pushes it back out, which tends to wash some of the dirt and debris out of the filter. So that's how you clean the filter on it. If you do that religiously, every 20,000 miles, the filter will probably never get restricted. If you wait to 100 and it becomes restricted, it's too late. You could right. you be into a transmission. So especially if you're pulling a little boat with it, you need to be doing that on about every 20,000. And like I say, it's so easy. About every third, fourth, fifth, all change, just do it.
1: Yeah. Do y'all need to go into them ever so often and make any band adjustment? No, there is no. no
0: band adjustment on that one. Everything is clutches, but there's no way to go into it. It has no pan on it. Like I said, it's a completely, the two halves of the case bolt together. The only thing you search from the outside are a couple of solenoids that are up on top of the case and a few of the switches and sensors on the outside of the case. Other than that, transmission has to come out and be taken apart. So that's why on a unit like that, prevention is the key. Okay. If you have to go into it, it's a major deal. So you want to prevent problems, and you can do that by changing fluid on a regular basis. I mean, if I had one of those units, I might even every third oil change just drain three quarts out and put three more quarts in. I mean, it's so easy and so cheap to do that. And you're down there anyway. Yeah, you're right there anyway. With a pan and everything. I mean, all you do is just take the plug out. Mm -hmm. Like Lewis said, drain the. Three quarts out, put the plug back in, and put three quarts back yeah. in. And on that, I think it'll be three and a half. They take between six and seven quarts. I believe that one's going to take seven. Just be sure you use the Honda Fluid yeah, in I, it. I think DW1 is going to yeah. be the latest. I think that's greatest. the latest.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't want to be like my friend of mine was going to Toledo Bend. He called home told his wife, to change the oil in my truck. She'll try anything. So he, <laughs> he took off, got over about cross spring. She said, this thing still is making a lot of racket. Rung, 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 rung. He got out and checked his oil, and it was all the way up to the top of the dipstick. There you go. Oh, wow. He <laughs> didn't have no grease in his
2: transmission. Well, uh-huh. there you go. <laughs> all right, Herb, coming. All right, in. thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. We're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. I get
2: your kicks on Route 66.
3: And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me. Alphonse, the know-it-all Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know?
2: Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money?
3: Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 3500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about 15000 That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer.
0: And I can spend money on other
3: things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place. To go.
0: Hey, welcome back! Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Albazan with Mister Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's two nine one sixty nine zero one. We would really appreciate hearing from you. And we've got David Spin Pacey. Hold, good morning, David. Awesome.
2: Good morning, Lewis. How are you? Hey, great, man. Got a strange situation here. Okay, got a two thousand Honda Accord. Mm-hmm. It's sitting in my driveway the other day, and nobody's in the car. Okay. All of a sudden, the horn starts blowing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the only way I could get it to quit was to disconnect the horn. Yes, sir. I'm just
4: wondering if you ever heard of that and
2: what the heck I have. it
0: be? A lot of times what that can be, David, is a malfunction in the actual switch. Sometimes that's part of the airbag. Sometimes it's not. i have to look at the way that particular one is made. But the little switches can actually malfunction and do that. The second thing is a relay can stick on it. But generally, a relay is not going to stick on its own. What's going to happen instead is that... You're going to blow the horn, it's just going to keep on blowing, you know, because it sticks in an own position. The third thing is you got to short to ground anywhere in the circuit. Like, for instance, if the relay circuit, what happens when you push the button is it goes to ground, and that brings the relay down, which energizes the horn. If you got a short to ground somewhere in the steering column or in the wiring, it can do that. So kind of important to get that checked because it can indicate a bigger problem, and I've even seen cars catch on fire with little things like that really yes yeah what you could do david go in just to kind of hedge your bet and pull you'll find the horn relay in the little box underneath the yes I, I know where it is yeah pull the horn relay out and that will kind of cut the power off that circuit because even if you unhook the horn and you still got there's power still right to, yeah that relay is still being energized it's still drawing a fair amount of current and probably need to get it in let's check it and see i mean if you're real handy you can get a voltmeter and you can go to the relay circuit and see if the relay is being energized or not if it is, you just got to trace it up, you know, start at one end of the circuit, check it there, and see where it's actually picking up a ground. hmm Sounds like something I might need to bring to you <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Yeah, we should be able to locate that pretty right. quick. It shouldn't take a whole lot of time to find.
2: All right, a good deal. Well, all thank right. you very much. And uh, do you you guys require an appointment, or can I just come
0: in? You can just drop it in, but if you do, they're going to put you next in line. And a lot of times we may have 30 cars there in any given day. If you make an appointment, right. they're going to make sure you get in and out in one day. So I always advise making an appointment. Like I said, that way you're in and out in the same day. If it's an emergency, you just want to drop it in. Sometimes we'll get to it the same day, sometimes the next day. We'll work it in as quick as we possibly can. Yes,
4: yeah, so well, I'll give you all a call next week and
2: see because I think that's a little above my head. Okay,
0: not a problem. Glad to help you. All right, sir. Thank right. you a lot. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, is the number, and we're going back to our phone lines with Mark. Good morning, Mark. Hey, I
4: see y'all move stations, huh? Yes, yes sir. sir. I didn't realize that until I was flipping around. Yeah, moving <laughs> on up,
0: man. <laughs>
4: I have a vehicle that my son was interested in purchasing, okay. and it's a 2012 Chevrolet V 71
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
4: And what would be involved with getting y'all to do a pre-purchase inspection of
0: that? Not real hard, Mark. All you have to do is call Elaine at the shop and just tell her what day you can drop it in. If you drop it in in the morning, or you can even make a waiting appointment, but all waiting appointments we do either at 7 in the morning or at noon. Reason being, 7 is the first appointment we're going to do, so I know exactly when I'm going to start on it. If you walk in at 7.10, there's going to be 30 cars ahead of you, and I don't know when I'm going to complete each one. Same thing at noon. When they come back from lunch, they can go ahead and do a waiting appointment. So if you need to wait on it, I would call at least about four or five days in advance, and that way you can set it up with her. Now, if you can, let's say, just pick the car up and bring it in, have it inspected, you can just drop it in any time. It may take me a day or so to get to it, but that's another way you can do it. But anyway, it goes, it's not a real involved process. The way we bill for that is we charge for the time that we spend on it. A thorough inspection on a reasonably good car is generally going to take about an hour. Now, the thing is, I'm looking for a reason that you do not want to buy this car. And as soon as I find that information, I'm going to stop. Right, so we're not going to go any further. The worse the vehicle, the less it's going to cost. Let's say, for instance, I put the car up, I pull the dipstick, the fluid is black, I do a pressure test on transmission, and it is fixing to lose the transmission. Well, I don't think we really need to go any further than that. No. because that's as far as you going to want to go i jack it up and the car, truck's been cut in half and welded back together again there's no sense checking anything else that's all the information you need in that case i spent 10 minutes you gonna know, pay me nine bucks but if it's a reasonably good vehicle i'm going to probably spend about an hour going over it because i want to check all the things that could be wrong with it and i mean obviously there's no re- end to things we can check but within an hour you're going to have a, a pretty good idea if you want to buy this vehicle or not
4: Yeah, I was just thinking the logistics on it because I'm out in be out in Prairieville.
0: Mm -hmm.
4: I would like to do it like on Monday, and it I don't know like with the the car lot where I'm getting it from. You know
0: all the yes, probably would not be able to happen on Monday just because we've already be booked up. We stay booked up three or four days in advance all the time. What a lot of people do is they actually have the car lot bring the car over because most car lots are going to have a runner there. And just have them bring in and just say, look, I want to buy the car. I'm very serious about it. If it checks out, I'm going to buy it. Serious as that. they got to have a commitment of some sort. You're not just going to bring cars in on a maybe. But well, look it over good. Now, I'll tell you one other thing you can do. Go to my website and go to the used car section, and there's a checklist there. And there's also a couple of articles on spotting a wrecked vehicle, spotting problems with a vehicle. Read all that data, and you can do a lot of the stuff yourself. Now, let's say you do the most you can do yourself, and this looks like a great vehicle. This is the one you want. The price is right. You're pretty sure you want it. Well, then you say, hey, look, guys, I'm pretty sure I want this vehicle pending an inspection by my mechanic. I'm going to buy it. Right. Now, I need you to bring it over there to him. And uh, under those circumstances, most car lots will bring them over for you. Yeah, I, I
4: looked at one, and it. The first thing I noticed was it had uh, a lift kit on it and it had big tires and the wheel was closer in the front. Well, no use looking at that one. (laughs) (laughs) And then the person told me that I didn't know what I was talking about and I looked up underneath there and I saw a lower control arm had been changed. Yeah, there you go.
0: Well, see, you're pretty sharp. You're sharper than the average bear anyway.
4: It had a two, it had a February 14 inspection sticker on it.
0: Well, there you go. I mean, those are all red flags. And right now, if you're buying a vehicle that new, you're paying a fair amount of money for it. You're in a buyer's market. You know, you, you can take your choice. There's no sense buying something you may have problems with. You know, if you're trying to find a car for 3,000 bucks, you got a much more limited market. But when you don't mind spending a little money, you can be a, a lot more choosy.
4: I told him not to pee on my
0: foot and tell me it's raining. There, there you thank go. You. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all very much. Hi, right, man. Thanks, Colin. That's one of those things that a lot of folks buy cars. And one thing that always has just absolutely amazed me, I've had folks come in, we check the car, we find several major problems, uh-huh. tell them, look, I wouldn't advise buying this car, but it's a good deal. Yeah. No, well, it's, it's not, not a, a good, good deal.
2: deal. <laughs> if You're you got gonna a major problem, problems.
0: it's not a good deal. Right. And... Don't ever fall in love with a car. No. A car, no, that is a mistake. I hate to say it because yeah. I've got one at the house I love. I know. But it's a mistake because but it costs you. It's not like your wife or a child or even a beloved pet. This yeah. is not a living thing. Mean, it's an automobile. Thing. It's a car. It's yeah. just a car, man. Transportation. Just way to get point A to point B. Yeah. Don't fall in love with it. You just buy the one that's going to get you there most reliably for the least amount of money. Right. If you're buying, there's no sense buying a problem. Oh no, definitely, definitely you buy, not a you problem. You buy a car that's been wrecked, and next thing you know, it's worn out a set of tires. Then you're bringing it into Lewis because nobody can line it. And I'm yeah. telling you, got a bent frame, and it's going to be fifteen hundred bucks straightened out. Yeah, that's another big red flag. Well, yeah. when you See a used car with brand new tires on it. Yeah, you got to start thinking. Yeah, Why they put new tires on exactly. a car to go trade it in? Exactly. Yep. So, hey, we got to take one more quick little break, but we'll be right back with more with a lot of information and a whole
3: lot more to talk about. That's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse show with me. Alphonse, the know-it-all Cajun. Call her what you want to know.
2: Alphonse, my car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right?
3: Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into Agco for regular maintenance and you'll be driving it for a long time.
2: Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good looking as you are smart?
3: Well, let's just say. Ah uh, no, you wouldn't be disappointed. Oh, yeah. Learn more about the benefits of AgCo at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AgCo, it's the place to go.
2: Noise of the river the the hey, welcome a back to the Automotive
3: Hour.
0: I'm your host, Louis now with Mr. Brian with Terry. Hey, three, two, we'll try to answer me. any automotive you questions you might have. Watch College, to you give us a call, it's 291-6901. That's right, and you put a 225 in front of that, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Well, that's right. We sure wish you would. During the break, Devin from Marksville uh-huh. called, listening on the Internet, and Devin wanted to say how much he enjoyed the show. I appreciate you calling, Devin, and we do. Appreciate you listening on the Internet. There you go. We've got lots and lots of folks who listen to the show either on the internet or, or by, by podcast. Right. Podcast is a great way to get the show if you can't make the live show. Mm-hmm. I know, like Stitcher, for instance, I think we have 900 and something subscribers and yeah. several more listeners besides that. Of course, iTunes, we have bunches and bunches. And we get email from pretty much
1: all over the world. We do. That's
0: why we know that there are a lot of folks out there who are listening. I guess for every person that calls in, there's probably a few thousand that oh, are listening that don't call in. Most definitely. That's one reason we really like the calls, because you may bring up something that someone else is thinking about, and either they don't want to call in or they just don't get a chance to call in. Right. So, the information will definitely help them. It's not just you getting an answer. You're actually helping other people sure. when you call in with your questions. And that's what we're here for. Right. That's why we do the show on Saturday morning so everybody can listen and get their questions answered. That's right. And just in case you don't get a chance to call in or something like that. Right. You can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A G C O A U T O. You can take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company get you to our site and there's plenty of contact bars and information there for you to go through that's exactly right and we're going back out our phone lines with amy good morning amy hi yes ma'am
2: i have a question i have a 1999 nissan altima Uh uh-huh and whenever i cut the air conditioner on Uh it makes a just squealing screeching squealing noise yes ma'am but i can downshift and kind of shift out of the noise and i'm wondering is my compressor going bad
0: or it could be amy it could also be that just the belt is loose on it see an air conditioner draws a tremendous amount of power from the engine up to 30 to 40 horsepower is drawn by that compressor so let's say the belt is just maybe a little glazed over or worn or there's a part in there called a belt tensioner which is a part Uh that holds the belt tight that will do the same exact thing it's going to squeal and make noise and all that it'll be particularly bad when the car is cold like first thing in the morning It may get better when the car warms up because as the belt gets hot, it gets a little more pliable, a little more sticky, so it doesn't do it as bad. Now, all that being said, that can start out as a very minor problem, like a belt. If it continues to do that, you can tear up the compressor, which can run into a couple thousand dollar repair real fast. Right, because when you tear up the compressor, it actually comes apart inside. You don't see it on the outside. It comes apart inside, and all that metal goes through the entire system. Right. Gets hung in places that you can't get it out, and you need to change in parts then. See, what to get it. noise all done. is, the belt is slipping. It's generating a tremendous amount of heat. I mean, it'll get really, really hot, and that heat will end up destroying the clutch, which will end up destroying the compressor. So real important to get that looked at real quick. It may be a very minor problem right now, but if right. you continue to drive it, it can turn real major pretty quick.
4: Okay. Well, thank you very much. All all right, I appreciate you're
0: it. Thanks for going, Amy. Bye-bye. I two nine one sixty nine oh one is the number you want to be part of the automotive I We would love to have you, and we got Stuart online. Good morning, Stuart.
4: Good morning, Lewis and Brian. How are y'all doing? Good morning. Hey, got a question. Okay. My sister-in-law has a twenty fourteen Camry, mm-hmm. and I've got to figure out how to place the jack stands. And they have it looks like the seams right on the outside have been welded together, or spot welded, and then maybe six to eight inches on both sides inboard. You have what looks like
0: kind of... Oh, I'm, uh, man, I'm, I'm we lost, sorry. I believe I accidentally cut you off. If you call right back, I'll put you right straight back up to the top of the list. And let's see. We're going back to the phone lines with Curtis. Good morning, Curtis. Good
2: morning. Good morning. I tuned in a little bit late when I caught the tail end of when you were talking about you guys inspect cars prior to... Thing, you
0: know, we're looking at buying use yes, a used. Yes, sir. It's called a pre purchase inspection. <laughs> go to my website, Curtis. It's agcoauto.com, and it'll give you all the information you could ever hope to know about that. We've got several articles in there on that process and all the other things that we do. But okay. basically, we go through it pretty much from stem to stern. And like I was telling the other gentleman, we bill for that the same as we do everything by the hour in one tenth of an hour increment. So let's say the car is not in very good condition, then we're not going to spend a lot of time on it because what I'm looking for is a reason you should not buy the car. Right, right. Words, if I jack it up and I look under there and the car's been cut in half and welded together, well, there's no sense going on because we know right then and there everything that we need to know. So at that case, you know, you charge maybe a tenth of an hour, which is about 9 bucks. If it's a fairly good car, we're going to spend way more time, maybe up to an hour, going through all the things, pull the wheels off, check the brakes, check transmission fluid, check the power windows, check the air conditioning check for codes, pending codes, and all those sorts of things. It's going okay. up to about an hour. and It's $90 per hour, so generally around $90 for a complete check on a fairly good car. We actually had a customer bring us six cars until we found a good one for yeah. him. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he was looking for a particular Camry, and we went right. through six of them to try to find him a good one. Yeah, because a lot of times, with times being what they are, times are kind of tough right now. And folks don't trade good cars. No. Unless they got a problem. So you gotta watch. There are some real good deals out there, but so much of what's on the market is not in very good shape.
2: Right now, is there a particular, let's say, a year of, um, just like the Sahara Jeeps, four doors that are better than others that you know of, like stay well, away from a 2012 versus a 2008?
0: Yeah, I really can't go into all that on the air. If you want to send me an email, I'd be glad to talk to you more about it. But as okay. a general rule, the Jeep is not the most reliable vehicle out there. I mean, they're okay, but they're not really vastly reliable vehicles. They tend to be a little more problematic in some things. Gotcha. Okay. All righty. I appreciate it. Thank Okay, you. man. Thanks Colin calling. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number, and we're going back to the lines with Stuart. Good morning, Stuart. Hey, we were talking about Yeah, I'm sorry. I cut you off. That's okay. I'm used to abuse. (laughs) It used to be a (laughs) car. You were saying where you want to support the car? Yes. Yeah, if you go to the owner's manual, it will have instructions there, and generally most of them are going to have like a little plastic shield right above it with a little arrow that shows you where you jack up. As a general rule, the the front is going to be right behind the front wheel on the rocker panel. The rear will be right in front of the back wheel on the rocker panel. In other words, that little seam that sticks down that's welded together, three little pieces of metal that are welded together. Right. That is the strongest part of the vehicle. That is where the rocker panel, the inner rocker panel, and the floor panel all weld together. So you got three layers of high strength metal all coming together right there. Well, you never...
4: Okay, on the jack, I mean, Mm -hmm. on the jacking positions, Mm -hmm. I just need to know where to put the jack stands to keep from bending those little seams
0: right on the outboard side of the both sides. Yeah, same thing. You're going to need to jack it up probably somewhere else, like maybe under the engine crossmember, and then put your jack stands on those jack points. You talking about using a floor jack? Yeah. Yeah, you could. Uh, Well, the floor jack, but the jack stands to put the thing up i have to use the oil yeah you put your jack stands under those points under the pinch they they say to to jack it up now most of your jack stands have an indention right in the middle right over the adjustment shaft right on the top just put that indention right in the center of that pinch wheel. Just slowly let the car down on it, and it should be fine. Yeah. Oh, I got you. What you don't okay. ever want to do, if you look under the floor of the car, you're going to see some little channels that look like little frame rails. Right. You want to stay away from those. Yeah, that's not a frame rail. That's a floor stiffener. That's just to keep the floor from moving when you step on it. If you put them there, yeah. you will buckle the entire floor in the car.
4: Yeah, well, I thought,
0: thought that that might not be a problem. Yeah, that, yeah. Okay. that has made me a very wealthy man. Yeah. Because I own a frame shop. So. <laughs> we have straightened <laughs> an awful lot of those. <laughs> okay,
2: well, we won't do that. There you go. I, Thanks again. All right, two man. No all right,
0: way. Stuart. Thanks, Custer. Bye, bye. All right, two nine 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive. I, we'd love to have you. And we have got Matt online. Good morning, Matt. Good
2: morning, guys. Good morning, all.
0: This morning, doing great. Very sir. well.
2: I got a question about an old car. It belongs to my brother. If it was mine, I would have gotten rid of it a long time. <laughs> <'cause> he, don't, <laughs> he don't have the money to fix it, so I'm going to ask you a question about it. Sure. It's a '93 Cutlass Sierra. Okay. And he's had quite a few problems with it, but I guess this problem here is it wouldn't start for a long time. I mean, Mm -hmm. he had trouble with it running, and it would die, and then finally he couldn't start it at all. Okay. But it would make, you know, like it was trying to start, like it was... Yeah, it
0: cranks over, but it won't start.
2: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so somebody told him to spray some ether in the throttle body. Okay. And of course, I know that's starting fluid, Uh but but I thought to myself, well, you know, that's never going to work. Well... He sprayed it and you puffed a little bit, and then finally it started working, and it allowed him to go like a week or so Mm -hmm. running again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how he keeps it going now. (laughs) When it stops, when it doesn't want to ignite again, he sprays that ether in there. So what in the world
0: is going on there? Most likely what he's got is a fuel pump that is going bad. There's a check valve in the fuel pump. And when you turn the key off... Obviously, the pump quits running. The weight of the fuel wants to return from the fuel rail back to the tank. Which is the lowest point is a tank. Right. The fuel rail is the highest point. And so check, any liquid uh, runs down. The check valve is going to prevent that. Correct. So that when you turn the key, what happens is that the pump only runs for about a second. If it doesn't see the crankshaft position sensor being energized, it's going to shut the pump down to keep from flooding. So what's happening is all the fuel is running back to the tank. He's cranking, but there's no crankshaft signal. So it's cutting the pump off. So he's got no gas to start the car. Sprays the ethernet, just gives it a fuel source so that it gets started. When it gets started, it runs long enough to where the pump can get the fuel up, and then it goes ahead and runs from there. Now, what's going to happen is the pump's just going to fail on him, and when it does, it's going to leave him stranded somewhere. So very easy to isolate that problem. All it needs to do is bring it somewhere, have them do a fuel pressure test on it, and they can see exactly what's going on with a fuel pressure test. That's not the only possible thing, but that's the most likely thing, given the circumstances you're telling me about.
2: Yeah, okay. Now, do you think, I guess what really puzzled me was the fact that it would
0: run for several days. Yeah, it will, because once you get it started, trade. as long as you keep restarting it, the fuel's never running completely back to the tank. If it's sits for two or three days, it runs completely to the tank, so it just takes a lot more to get it all the way back up to the front, and it doesn't have enough to get it up there.
2: Uh huh. So it's like,
0: it's The maybe most, most likely thing is the fuel, bit. Well, the fuel pump is leaking back on right. it. And again, you have to verify that with a fuel pressure test, but yeah, that's by yeah. far the most likely. And one. that is a very yeah. easy test. Very There's easy a port on the fuel rail up by the engine you unscrew uh-huh. it it looks like a valve stem cap you take yeah. the cap off you screw the gauge okay. on and if the you can watch the pressure then and decide from the specification if it's reaching specification or yeah. not if it's getting to the full pressure and if it is it's holding long enough i
2: got you all right i got you and so really there's a little bit of fuel staying in the rail and it that's has why it's yeah. yeah. it right yes burn. it
0: has to keep fuel on the yeah. rail because when you go to start it has to have pressure available to the it's not like a carburetor that has a bowl or something. You know, it has to have fuel there for it to start.
2: Yeah. Okay, guys. All righty. Appreciate your help. Yes, sir. All Thank right, you.
0: Sir. All right, got to take one last quick little break, but we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour.
3: And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse show with me. Alphonse, the know-it-all Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car
2: needs about $2,500 worth of work, a new AC, and tires. You think I should do it
3: or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you $30,000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about $2,500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about $1,200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh?
2: Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car.
3: Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer
2: now that sounds like a good investment hey al you got any stock
3: market tips oh for that you got to tune to my other show al's financial hour Booyah! learn more about the benefits of agco at agcoauto.com that's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. agco it's the place to go Welcome back to the final segment
0: of the Automotive Hour. I'm Your host, Louis Outland, president of Agco Automotive. We've got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We still got several minutes, and right now, you still got fresh minds? There you go. <laughs> a few more minutes to give us a call and get a live answer. That's right. You can go ahead and give us a call and makes things a whole lot more interesting. Right. And- we actually got a few emails on the website this week who would like to yeah some kind of kind of bring points, up I some think. good topics here. Rob from California. I'm assuming he took a trip to New York City since he lives in California. Uh-huh. But when he was there, he noticed that almost without exception took a taxi cab ride mm-hmm. when they come to a stop they took the gear shift and shifted it up into neutral right and that comes more from habit i believe yeah. than anything you else you not know if that was beneficial or not and that comes from force of habit i think where that actually originated a lot of those cabs at one time were probably in pretty poor condition uh-huh and maybe the cooling system didn't work very well or maybe the air condition didn't work very well so what they do is they would shift in neutral and they would sit there and race the motor up slightly to make it work better correct now From a standpoint of the car, no, that does not help anything at all. No. Lifting in a neutral, the torque converter is going to release. On modern cars, it releases before you, when it sees the throttle position sensor closed, it disengages. It disengages. So there is no drag, there's no benefit to doing it, and you can actually damage the car. Right, because you're actually moving that linkage Excessively Right. And you know, it's, it's designed to move and the valve body to work. you got a bunch of steel pistons and aluminum valve body, and you're constantly shifting them back and forth. Right. You're putting a lot more wear and tear on the transmission. So that's not something you want to do on your car. If you have a problem with the air conditioner not cooling at idle, you need to have the air conditioner looked at. Correct. Because that could be the signs of a minor problem that could turn real major. Same thing with a cooling system. If the car tends to overheat an idle. You've got another problem. Right. Not we don't don't need to cover it up. need to figure out what's going that's on with it. Exactly right. Because Good. it's designed to work. That's right. The way it's supposed to but that's a good question it is a great question we've got janine from utah mm-hmm. said she want to know how dangerous is a bad wheel bearing because she's had ball joint broke and they replaced the ball joint and the tire rod ends and wanted to know why they didn't replace the bearings well and again it depends on the type of failure in a wheel bearing wheel bearings are sort of like people they have different types of maladies you can have anything from a coal to a you know, just a severe disease of some sort. Same thing with a wheel bearing. If it's just making a little bit of noise, then it is failing and it definitely needs to be changed, but it's not critical. But if it gets to the point where it's roaring, the next point is the wheel's going to fall off because the wheel bearing is holding the wheel on. Right. All that is is two races and ball bearings holding that assembly together. That's correct. And as it fails, the bearings get smaller, the, the grease goes away, the bearings wear, and they get smaller. And I guess excessive... It would come apart. Yeah, it starts to generate a lot of heat. It can actually weld together, in which case the wheel will lock up, or it can actually break, in which case the wheel could fall off. So right. The answer is a bad wheel bearing is never a good thing to ignore. It's not something you can let go. That being said, if it's just a minor noise, it's not something you have to drop everything and rush out and get fixed immediately. Uh-huh. But it is a something that you do have to have addressed. As to why the shop didn't mention it to her, it just depends if you go into the shop and you say, my ball joints are bad, I want them repaired. Well, you're not paying for a general inspection. What right. you're paying for is what you told them to do. And a set of hands. That is what they're going to do. Now, if you bring the car in and say, inspect the front end, inspect the suspension, and tell me everything I need, That's a different situation. Sure, Many, many shops are not going to bring things to your attention if they're not told to do it because some people don't want that. Some people self-direct their service, and they really feel like you're trying to sell them something if you tell them anything else. So you got to be careful. What happens is you assume the role. When you walk in and tell them what to do, then you are self-directing your service, and you have assumed the role of knowing what you're doing. If that's not the case and you want to know what's really going on with the car, don't walk in and tell them what to do. Walk in and ask them to inspect it. Tell them what the symptoms are and let them tell you what's wrong right. with what's needed on the car. And better yet, if you can talk directly to the technician, right, you're even better off because you can take him, say, look, let's go for a ride. My car's making this noise. I want to show it to you. Right. That way, he's directed straight to that noise. He can hear it for himself and duplicate it after you've dropped the car off for service. Well, that's right, because if you say, I have a roaring noise in the car, there are so many things that can possibly cause that. At different times. Well, yeah. One is a front-wheel bearing, and that's fairly common. Another is a rear-wheel bearing, which is a totally separate situation. Right. Another might be the carrier bearings, whether it's a drive shaft or a CV joint. They have a carrier bearing on some of those, which can make a noise which is very, very similar. And a trained technician can drive the car, and he can pick up on the subtle differences that will let him know what area to start looking in. For instance, what he may do for a wheel bearing is he's driving along, he notices that at 35, 40 miles an hour there's a humming noise. The first thing a trained tech is going to do is maybe apply the brakes and see if noise changes. Right. And if it does change, then he's going to look at one sort of thing. If it does not change, he's going to look at a different set of things. Next thing, he may cut the wheel sharply in one direction and sharply in the other direction. If the noise changes, then he knows he's looking for one set of things. If the noise does not change, then he's going to move on to another set of things. And that just comes from Years of experience. Of knowing how to isolate those sorts of things. So he doesn't waste a lot of time checking things that don't, don't need have to be inspected. Right. Because the more time he spends on your vehicle, the more time it's going to cost you. That's right. Because everybody charges for their time and... Obviously, the more time you use, the more it's going to – so that's why an experienced technician is going to go to the problem a whole lot quicker because he knows the things that he's looking for if you give him the symptoms. Correct. We've got another one here from Richard in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. He wanted to, he had a question. He's got a Volvo, and he wanted to know, should he turn the air conditioning off when he turns the car off? And that's sort of similar to the first question of the cab drivers putting the car in neutral – I have a lot of folks who have asked me that over the years. Should I turn the air conditioner off? Does it make it easier on the car? In other words, when I'm starting my car, the motor doesn't have to turn its air conditioner compressor, so it's easier on the starting system, uh-huh. easier on the charging system. Well, all that's actually a fallacy nowadays. Sure. Because the air conditioner on your car is no longer controlled by the switch. No, it's actually controlled by its own little computer. Right. In other was that switch that you press on a dash is not the off-on switch that it used to be. It's not an analog off-on switch. It still looks like one. It looks like one. But it's not. It's actually a request for air conditioning. When you mash that switch, it sends a request to the body control module. The body control module is going to evaluate the situation and discern if air conditioning is appropriate. If it is, then it's going to ground the relay, which is going to turn the compressor on. Right. Now, when the engine is cranking over, it's the body control module, regardless of what the button is saying, is going to say, okay, we're not started because the crankshaft position sensor says we're not. The RPM is too low, so I know we're not started yet. It's going to cut the air conditioning off. So right. So it's going to do it for you. Another situation may be where you push that button and it's 20 degrees below zero outside. It's not going to energize the air conditioner because the refrigerant would not atomize at that temperature. Uh-huh. And you could theoretically return liquid refrigerant to the compressor and do damage. So it's going to override and it's not going to come on. And that's the way it is with it's not just the air conditioning set up that way. The entire car is set up that way. Pretty much. When you push the button to put the window down, you're not actually putting the window down. The no. body control module is putting the window down for you. Right. Even turning the headlights on. Anymore, sure. It's All a, that is. It's a request for lighting. It's going to evaluate the situation, and it's going to determine the best situation. And then it's going to go ahead and either turn the lights on or not. not turn the lights on based on that. For instance, if the car is overheating, it may not turn the air conditioner on at all. Sure. It's going because to go it's that request because correct. it's good for the car. Correct. Hey, we got to get out of here. We want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening and calling this morning. I'd like to thank everybody that listens on podcasts every week. Tell your friends and go to iTunes and Stitcher and all those great podcast services and Give us a written rating if you can. Yeah, give us a written review because that moves us up in the ratings, and that makes sure lots more people get to hear us because when you type our name in, the position we come up on the screen depends on the number of written reviews we have. Great. So let's get it done. There you go. We really <laughs> appreciate that. also makes our day. That it does. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.